So, the Regent Honey Eater. I'm worried about it. What is it? <laughs> well, it's a bird in Australia. Oh. But importantly, yeah. it's a very endangered bird. But it's mm. so endangered, it's losing its song because it doesn't get together with its mates anymore because it has no mates. So, it's, so it doesn't know how to do its song anymore. This is what the scientists are saying. So, so what was a very tuneful bird now... Because of sort of, you know, enforced lockdown, mm. doesn't sing anymore. And I'm thinking, this could be us next. Supposing we lose our song. I think the world would be a happier place if we shut up, surely. <laughs> well, there is that. And I don't think we're, we're hardly endangered, although you never know, we might be after this episode, who knows. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Welcome everybody to episode 151 of the Mid-Faith Crisis podcast. I am Nick Page. I am Joe Davis doing the pause thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're just playing at professionals. It's pathetic. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Anyway, great to be here. Um, Anyway, how are you? I'm all right. You know, know, there's lots going on, isn't there, at the moment? I've been pondering... Megan's in you know interview and Piers Morgan and retiring and and then you know that awful death and then I've been thinking what a rotten job it is for police to have to uh, police a vigil and all that fell out of that and knowing that some of our listeners are in fact police people in London Mm. tough gig tough job I'm not sure I've got any wisdom on all of it other than it's easy to whip up a crowd and make them angry nowadays don't you think social media is like particularly good for that if that's your goal if you feel outraged it's it's a lot simpler to get an outraged crowd on your hands now well thank you for such an upbeat opening <laughs> yes. to the show. So i didn't i didn't mean to go there i'm sorry and uh, the only thing that's outraging me is your creaky chair as ever which is now virtually a character on the show well let me tell you something my friend i've ordered a new chair huh. what do you think of that well i think it hasn't arrived in time is what i think of that <laughs> yes. anyway. but i'm glad to hear of it yeah, uh, well, I mean, there is a lot going on. I don't know. I just stay away increasingly from the whole thing. Really, is that cowardice? I just don't read the news and I don't, I don't go on social media. Yeah, well, I think you're very wise. I was also mm. thinking about last week's episode and how I wish I'd just said about you know the whole tithing thing. You were talking about that, and mm. I realised I realised that actually a much simpler thing to say would have been, don't just think of a certain percentage of your salary be it 10% or 20% as belonging to God, Mm. just view 100% of it that way. That would have been a much simpler thing to say. I mean, it doesn't help in terms of buying things because you're still left, well, I still don't know what I can spend on me, but I just think that's a much healthier context for thinking about money generally. I suppose you've just got to think of it, it, is it God's will for me to spend money on beer? (laughs) Or a new chair. 
<laughs> a new chair, definitely. And in fact, beer, definitely. Yeah, I, I've, I've resolved that. Yeah, easy. Yeah, it is. It's God's will for me to spend it on whatever I like. That's what I've decided. <laughs> there we are. Then there's there peace. <laughs> and I'm waiting for the first chiff chaff because for me, that is the ultimate sound of spring has arrived. So we've got lots of visual things going on. We've got the daffodils out and we're seeing a few little green shoots. But the audio cue that spring is here is most definitely the sound of the chiff chaff. So when that happens, I shall feel a great warmth in my heart, as Wesley once said. Anyway, how are you? <laughs> well, uh, the other day I heard my first chiff chaff, strangely did you, enough. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. that is great. Well done. <laughs> Sunday morning out on Port Meadow. Oh. Unmistakable chiffy chaff sound. So yeah. that was nice. Yeah. I'm all right. I've had the jab. I had the jab yesterday. Oh, good. And uh, so far, I'm not feeling any fatigue. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I haven't had any problems, actually. I haven't had any side effects so far. I don't know when they come on. Because yeah. you, you had it quite badly, didn't you, when you had the jab? I, yes. I, I was just exhausted, man. I yeah. mean, beyond exhausted, yes, for a couple of weeks. As far yeah. as I can tell, I think it affects, uh, well, from what they what they write, I think it affects young people, particularly younger people who've had it. That'd be it then. And uh, the other class it affects is malingerers, I think. So <laughs> I think you're either one or the other. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. It does seem to affect people so differently, doesn't it? It was kind of yeah. like I, I found it incredibly moving, actually, the experience. Did I do. Yeah, I, I don't know what it was, but we went to, we had to go to the Kassam Stadium in Oxford, which is the Oxford United okay. Football Stadium. Oh, okay. I was quite hoping there was going to be a little crowd there cheering us on, you know, um, a bit <laughs> of support, but no. Um, and just went in and literally took 10 minutes, you know, from, from going in, having it. But I just found the whole thing of all these people being very polite and nice to you and helpful and wanting you to have a good experience and just and, and, and explaining everything to you and, and just working on something so important and it mm. all working so beautifully. I was really touched by it. I don't, mm. you know, I, I wasn't expecting that. But now there we go. I, I'm a bit annoyed I didn't get a lollipop, though. I got a sticker, but I didn't get a lollipop. Did you? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that sucks. Anyway, I think the question on everybody's mind at the moment mm. is, how are your waterworks? Or, more importantly, <laughs> your boiler, specifically? Um, well, the good news is the boiler is in. The plumber right. has just left. He's He's got to come back tomorrow morning to, I don't know, charge some more money. I don't know what it is he does. but uh, <laughs> uh, And, uh, yeah, no, it's in. So uh, now... The charity can be officially wound up, and uh, you know we can just we can just start one for writers with hypothermia because it's been a bit cold today. Yeah. But, well, and charity work goes on because I'm running low on cheese. So. Oh, <laughs> the cheese for celebrants. Is that, yeah, that's right. Has it taken off at all. I don't know. <laughs> As in my house. <laughs> it's always true in your house. Uh, in fact, it wouldn't matter what job you did, would it? You just changed the last word in that. Exactly. Um, and I'm reading an interesting book uh, with a, a very compelling title called a, a World Without Email. Oh, wow. It's how you exist in a world without email, which, uh, I, as you know, me and email are on a vaguely sort of nodding <laughs> acquaintance. Very loosely. Yeah. After this, I might be on no acquaintance with it at all. Who knows? 
Oh. Uh, it's by a guy called Cal Newport. I've read uh, other books he's written, um, Deep Work and uh, Digital Mi- Digital Minimalism. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, very good. But this one, this one, not so good, but I was suckered in by the title. Yeah, it's a good title. Mm. And can we live in a world without email? I think not entirely, no. Mm. But I think it's about separating yourself off. It's about not being interrupted by stuff and not being at the mercy yeah. of other people's sort of expectations of you. That's the problem with email and chat and all this stuff, yeah. isn't it? It's not that it's a bad thing in and of yeah. itself. It's that you have to stop whatever you're doing to yes. deal with it. Uh, yes. And when you are what is called a knowledge worker, and that is me, Joe, because you know, yeah. I have enormous knowledge and I, I work it. I work it like that. <laughs> um, you know, you need the uninterrupted space to kind of concentrate on things. So it's about that. It's really about taking a bit more control. But anyway, I'm mm. enjoying it. Great. So talking of taking a bit more control. Yes. Let's get on with the show. <laughs> yes, let's let's get a grip of this here podcast. Yes. And um, this week we're going to have feedback basically on a couple of, on the episode from a couple of weeks ago, the uh, one with the interview with Margaret Metcalf. Yeah. And uh, we got some interesting feedback. I think. We have had some really excellent feedback. So uh, Mark says, Margaret Metcalf, wow, 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 with lots of exclamation marks. Uh, he says a couple of points of feedback. Margaret is correct that words matter. As I was listening, I was thinking about Genesis 1, where the Hebrew text describes how Elohim speaks and creation happens. It's literally the words that bring into being new things. And then he says, our words therefore have the same impact in that they bring worlds into being. Very poetic. Mm. I like it. And then he says, uh, the words we use uh, are often foundational to the way we think. I think Margaret is correct in framing the discussion around power narratives. In liberation theology, a common consideration is to ask who benefits from a certain way of thinking or a certain teaching or doctrine. That's a really good point. Um, And then he says, I think Margaret's encouragement to play with words is a difficult one. Much of my recent reading over many years has revealed the Christian desire for certainty. If uh, the words we use express God as male, then we will need to enter a period of dismantling our very orthodox beliefs before entering into new understandings that can give a different nuance to the divine. To the divine. This is hard work that many from a conservative or evangelical bent will simply not be open towards. And of course, with the male power narratives, it means that many Christian leaders will have to admit that they were wrong. Back to the question, who benefits from the status quo? So he says, you must get Margaret back on the podcast to continue the conversation. Nottingham is clearly the place where postmodern theological uh, research is at its brightest. (laughs) Very good. Yes. I mean, that opens it up, really. We're going to come on and talk about a lot about this, but I think that was one of Margaret's main things about mm. this relationship to power, which is worth mm. exploring, really, I yeah. think. Um, yeah. And and certainly, I think th- there is an element of dismantling that people find uncomfortable, as we shall see. Yes, indeed. Yep, thank you. And then Phil, dear Phil, uh, says this. Hi, Joe and Nick, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean. It says, following <laughs> on... <laughs> we do. Thanks, Phil. Uh, following on from this week's podcast, a quickish thought about the words we use for God. I'm not completely sure about my facts here, but hopefully the idea still stands. I was mulling over the fact that for some, it was, is, forbidden to say the name Yahweh. Uh, and then he puts the capitals, as we know, Y-H-W-H, because it's too holy to be spoken. 
But it occurred to me, as it never has before, that this could also be because it is impossible to contain uh, YHWH within the confines of a single word, or indeed within all the words spoken in all of human history. This is the problem we have with the word God. It encapsulates a whole bunch of ideas about Yahweh, not all of them helpful or healthy, yet omits far, far more. I can understand why you might wish to use another word or phrase, such as the divine, to try to avoid all the accumulated baggage of God, but I'm not sure that it overcomes the fundamental problem of having a single word standing in for Yahweh. Perhaps we might instead learn from the tradition of having multiple names for Yahweh. Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace, etc. Jehovah Pavlova was one of yours? Yes, that was the one we came up with. Jehovah Pavlova, the God of desserts. Yeah, exactly. He says, suppose that instead of saying God or the divine or whatever... We instead use terms of address, my shepherd, my provider, peace giver. I'm loving where this is going, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's spot on. This is, of course, just an extension of Jesus' instructions to address Yahweh as father and avoids the associated issues of using that single word. There are myriad names that we could use and using different names at different times could help us remember, reflect on and reinforce these different characteristics, as well as the emphasising that there is always so much more. And that's from Phil. Brilliant. I think that's really helpful, very, uh, really yeah. excellent. I want to talk a lot more about the images we associate with God. I would point out, however, that Jehovah is a, a made-up word. Okay. It's not actually a real word. Well, you know this, don't you? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it came from the Middle Ages. Basically, it's a confusion because in the Torah scrolls, they would never write out you know, the word Yahweh. We don't, I want to talk about that a bit later because we don't right, actually know right. how the word is pronounced even. They yeah. stopped saying the word in about the 5th century BC, the Jews. So nobody knows. And they put they put a different word over the top, Adonai, mm. in, the, in the scroll, but they just put the vowels, I think, or diacritical yeah. marks, I can't remember. Anyway, they got people later on, medieval scholars, got a bit confused and, and emerged the two words and thought they were the okay. missing, thought the bit oh. at the top was the missing bit from the word underneath. Uh, does that make sense? So they just I did sort of not put know it together. that, but that's great. So mm. Jehovah is a completely unbiblical word, but that shouldn't detract from uh, Phil's um, sort of idea, which is basically the, it's not about sort of multiple names so much as multiple metaphors uh, mm. for God, you know. And I and I, to find a metaphor that really works for us is something that I I, I, yeah. I think is really important. And also making that link that you know that's what Jesus was doing. When he addressed God as Father, he's finding a new metaphor. I think that's exactly yes, indeed, exactly absolutely. right, exactly yes. right. Phil, that was a brilliant email. Thank you so much, as always. And then uh, Andy has written in and says, "Dear Joe," uh, and he writes some great stuff. Uh, it's quite a long email uh, about waiting, but ironically, we don't have time. <laughs> Which is good. Uh, it says, "But actually, I wanted to write in response to an interview about language last week. I thought it was really interesting, but I had a few reflections. One." He says, hear me out on this one. You probably won't like the start. He says, it makes me a bit nervous when people decide that the Bible and or God should fit their values rather than the other way around. And I think that there is a danger that we do we do that in changing the way that we describe God. It probably makes me nervous because I'm aware that it is something that I could easily do myself. So I'm pretty relaxed if you want to call God the divine or use the pronoun she. But I think if our aim is to recalibrate God's image away from ideas that we find uncomfortable, then that probably isn't such a good thing. 
I heard someone say recently that we might not like everything in the Bible and we can certainly wrestle with it and seek to appreciate the context better, but at the end of the day there is no such thing as post-biblical Christianity. I thought that was quite wise. It seems to be that part of the mid-faith crisis is understanding that we do not do not understand it all and part of that is going to have to be not understanding the full sum of who God is. Uh, yep. Two, having said all of that, it is certainly true that historically, at least in the West, the church has been sucked into power structures and has used ideas and images of God unhelpfully to reinforce those. And then he gives a bit of history. And then he makes an interesting point. Three, he says, although I can certainly see that the words often used about God in the context of church are very masculine and perhaps focus on power and might a lot, I would argue that many churches actually project very feminine views of God already. Lots of modern worship focuses on our emotional connection with Jesus or God in a way that a friend of mine describes as Jesus is my boyfriend music. Yes, yes. And he says, if anything, therefore, I think churches need to think about reconnecting, reconnecting Christianity and perhaps God to men and not just us Californian whiffly men, but men out there in the <laughs> real world rather than <laughs> what is he saying? Rather than deliberately using language that makes God seem soft. And that's all I have to say about that. Thanks again for what you do. Best wishes, Andy. Well, thank you, Andy. Um, yes, good stuff, Andy. I mean, the, the stuff about recalibrating God's image, I think, is really important. And that yeah. is something I'd like to talk about uh, later on. Um, I don't know, but, you know, they're changing the language to attract men. I, I don't know about that. I mean, church has always had more women than men. Always. Has it? Well, historically, Augustine was moaning about was it. Was he? Yeah, he moaned about how all the women were doing all the work and the men were, mm. d weren't turning up. So nothing changes <laughs> at all. Yes. Um, and I, I also wonder whether if it's possible that, you know, is it possible that the Jesus is my girlfriend kind of stuff puts women off as well? Do we think that's necessarily a f feminine thing? I don't know if... Uh, you know, I don't know if a lot of women are turned off by that, you know. No, exactly. Yeah, good point. And I suppose my final thing is, yeah, I can see what I can really see what Andy's saying in that final point about changing the language. But actually, the whole point of this debate about what Margaret said is that we haven't changed the language ever to attract women. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a bit... So it seems a bit odd that suddenly we should be talking about attract, changing it to attract men. Yeah. You know, but I, I do. Yeah. But I suppose the overarching point is that your the language you use always has an impact, and and you have to be careful with it. You know, as as Margaret said, as other people have said, words words have power. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, I have some things to say, but I think I'll hold off and say them after the next email because we've actually got an email from God. Oh right. Okay. I mean, it was bound <laughs> to happen sooner or later. To be honest. I, I was expecting more of a smite, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who knew? Beloved listener, Glyn, has written in. Hello. Yes, we, we love Glyn. <laughs> he says this. <laughs> he says, hi, Joe and Nick. Right, so so it is from God, but, you know, Glyn is just channeling a bit here. and uh, He is merely his servant. Some good points here. He says, he says, hi, Joe and Nick. I actually managed to find a few minutes to interview God after your podcast <laughs> 149 with Margaret Metcalf. And although he'd listened to the podcast, he had to lie down for a while. He was so incensed. <laughs> I think I was as well. This meant that he's now behind with his jaws for the... 
chores for the day, smiting for no apparent reason, dispensing indiscriminate weather storms, reassembling the Republican Party, etc, etc. <laughs> so he didn't have time to reply and asked ever so politely, could I drop you guys a couple of lines on his behalf as his response? So we chatted and I said, sure, Your Honour. <laughs> Firstly, please note this is only my interpretation of his views on the whole issue, so bear with me. God, as we know, has many names in the Bible which describe him and his nature. A whole stack of names. So in some ways, adding a few more can't do any harm, surely. Except that when Joe asked about this, the reply was fairly obscure. Come and play, or words to that effect. My apologies, but what does that really mean at all, if anything? God is an intellectual, but Glyn is not. And he simply didn't get much out of that whole <laughs> conversation was driving at. <laughs> <laughs> what the whole conversation was. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so God observed that the term the divine is used a lot, although it's probably a correct term because that's what God is. But to him, it's actually painfully impersonal. Everything in the Bible declares that he is a personal God. Each of us has parents, presumably. So do we ever refer to either of them as the parent? No, I didn't think so. Then there was the whole reference to language and the association with power, which had both me and God mystified. I have an excuse. I'm not an intellectual, but God, well, he doesn't have an excuse for not understanding. So those were God's thoughts. Now, these are mine. <laughs> I know a lot of this is to do with being male, and some of us have a problem with this. I don't personally. A father can be powerful, passionate, protective and therefore violent on occasion, angry at injustice, gentle, loving, forgiving, etc., just as much as the divine. So what's the problem? God is way bigger than any of us, than any of our minds. He can surely also choose to be male if he wants to. If he'd chosen to be something other, then he might have let us know, a hermaphrodite, transgender God, I don't know. Plus, who are we to decide whether God is male, female, Lord, King, or none of these? You actually seem a bit arrogant to me, to be honest. Uh, again, I mean, I'm noticing here that uh, I'm being accused of being arrogant, uh, but I didn't write an email from God. Anyway, again, the interview seemed to me to skirt around anything tangible. I'll be blunt. It was just vague ideas of what we got fed up with. So let's make up a new idea of who God is or what we want him to be. Sounds in a way like we are trying to make God in our image. Guys, we've got to be more tangible rather than abstract in these discussions. And he says, what attracted me to God 40 years ago? Hearing about the simple life of a man who loves me, the son of man. Sorry to keep using this male language, but it's what I understand. And not the story of some asexual progeny of a parent blob spirit. If I sound abrasive, I'm sorry. And please understand that I do not belong to any conservative, traditional, old-fashioned part of the church. No, you don't, Glenn. And he says, I just want us all to be radical and relevant to everyone in our society. Love the podcast, Honest. <laughs> Excellent stuff. So we, we rattled um, Glenn and God a bit there. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I don't know if he was calling you or me, Abigail, could it be both of us, it's addressed to both of us. Yes. Um, or just that it was perhaps arrogant to to decide, or appeared a bit arrogant to decide yeah. stuff about God. But I, I, I guess I would start with, well, doesn't everybody do that? Yeah, doesn't everybody decide stuff about God? I think they do. I mean, uh, in a way, yes, yeah. I, th I think we we all do it, and I think actually even Glynn's doing it in that email you know with the but of course consistent is, yes. language and but i do it i i think it is worth a word about arrogance because you know i really don't like arrogance um 
because I think you can only ever speak about the divine with humility. You know, mm. we're exploring. It's way beyond our conversation. So if you ever come across as dogmatic or arrogant, you know, it's sort of often, I think it closes down discussion. So if if I did come across as arrogant, I apologise. And I think sometimes I do because I get enthusiastic and I get excited. And I particularly around things that have helped me in my faith journey. But I've noticed before that sometimes if you push the boat too far for people who aren't where you're at, mm. It can be rather off-putting. So, and also, I think that we always push out what we don't like about ourselves. So if I say, make a statement like, I hate arrogance, why do yeah. I hate it so much? It's probably because there's something of that in me that I'm pushing out. So I, I think it's always, always a wise thing just to not reject people's criticism yeah, of you, but sure. to, to just take a look at it. Well, that's very good of you. I, 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 you know, I wouldn't normally miss a chance to insult you <laughs> no i don't think you ever have but i would have to say that i don't associate the word arrogance with you in any uh, well, shape, way shape or form few i've Thank never you. you know because you have literally nothing to be arrogant about that is the fact of the matter <laughs> I, and i wonder whether a better word and i, I don't want to put words into glynn's mouth either, no. but you know, a better word that maybe to think about is whether we've been presumptuous in doing it yeah you know whether sure. we're sort of operating above our station above our pay grade theologically in, in, definitely in doing this. and i think <laughs> we all do that and i think um what glynn maybe what glynn was responding to is the, the, the idea that the stuff we're talking about isn't isn't biblical you know that we want to get back to what the biblical thing and i think that's been the a theme of a few of the emails yeah. So my question, my first question is, is that actually what's happening here? Because the whole point of it is that the gender of God, whatever you think mm. about it, and you know yeah. that I have problems with the, the yeah. phrase the divine. I don't yeah, 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 I do. like it. No, no, no. And, and I think it's a very yeah. fair criticism to say that it's rather impersonal. If yeah. you're given a choice between the divine and the father, what's the more personal? It's an obvious answer. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, but the, the fact is the gender of God in the Bible is not fixed. Mm. That's just a fact. Yes. You know, that, I yeah. mean, he's, in the Bible, the first two names for God, yeah. Yahweh and Elohim, yeah. right, in Genesis. Well, Yahweh, nobody knows what it means, really. No. Nope. Or even how to pronounce it, yeah. actually, because we, we just don't know. This is the best guess. Yeah. Elohim is plural. Gods. Yeah. So his first two names don't really sort of help in many respects. And, this, no. and when God is, is um, asked who he is by Moses, he gives his name as a verb. Yeah, I love that about God. <laughs> he's, he's, and, and even then there's a lot of question about how you exactly you translate yeah. that. Because it could yeah. mean being. It could mean I am, I am what yeah. I am. I am my own true creation. Yeah. Oh, no, that's a song. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Also, within the Bible, there are times when God is is genuinely depicted as as female. There's a line in Deuteronomy which says, you know, you forgot the God who gave birth to you. Yeah. Well, I don't think that's male. There's a line in Isaiah that likens yeah. God. There's the whole wisdom thing, which where wisdom is female and Jesus is identified with wisdom. Now, mm. I you know, I admit it's not masses of stuff, and I admit the overall mm. predominant image of God in biblically speaking is male. Uses male mm. terms in the Bible. But it is there. And even the Catholic Church Catechism says God is neither man nor woman. Mm. He is God. And it's a shame they used he, but, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when the yeah. Catholic Church Catechism is saying, I don't think we're being radical here by saying no. God is without gender. Um, no. That, that's, 
that's just it. And and I, you know, not to belabor the point, but a lot of church fathers wrote in this way. Um, you know, um, Clement of Alexandria wrote, "God, in His ineffable essence, is He is Father; in His compassion, He is Mother." You know, so they yeah. recognise the two two sides of it. Yeah. Um, it's culturally the fact that we've used more male terms of yeah. God, and but I, I just wanted to make that point, and it's the, the Bible thing to start with, that actually, theologically speaking, it's not a radical position to say that God is without gender. No, I, I absolutely agree. And, and of course, you know, it's also indisputable that the Bible is born out of patriarchy, and this sort of takes us back to the discussions we were having about the Bible, and I'm sure we will keep having and keep circling back to... You know, there are those at a certain point of their journey of faith where they just want to say, look, the Bible is God's word. End of story. I don't want to hear about interpretation. I don't want to hear about anything else. And then we started to explore, did the Bible writers ever get it wrong? Which sounds like heresy to people in the earlier stages, you know, or the, you know, who, who insist that that way is the only way of looking at it. And we were exploring whether God actually did condone uh, violence or whether that was people's interpretation of it and whether you can still find God in the Bible even though it is full of broken humanity's interpretation of God and certainly that's where I'm at personally but I get that lots of people would hate that way mm. of viewing the ineffable word of God um, so yes that's uh, that's taken I I wonder whether there is an interesting question to explore which is you know, I often hear this phrase, you know, we cannot allow culture or the world uh, to drive our view of God. I mean, because we that's just wrong. We allow the Bible to drive our, you know, the the Bible, the word of God will define who God is, not the world and certainly not culture. But I, I just sort of want to gently, without angering people too much, <laughs> explore whether culture has always defined how we understand who God is and what we have in the Bible is the culture of the Bible and the culture of that time um, so for example the Bible never explicitly forbade slavery but by a certain point in our history we quite rightly used our judgment and our knowledge and our understanding of God to say actually this is abhorrent this practice has to stop. And we see that. But equally, there were many Christians at the time, you know, very much against it. So in a sense, culture drove something like that. And I think we could also say that culture uh, drove civil rights as well as great leaders like Martin Luther King in America. So, so there's always this slight merging of discovering a new biblical worldview that that matches with our culture today but also culture is driving it you know after the reformation i don't know at what point or after the enlightenment perhaps i should say at what point do christians get comfortable with you can be a christian and have an evolutionary perspective at what point were you no longer burned for saying anything other than God created the world in six literal days. We've adjusted to that. We've acclimatised that. And culture and scientific knowledge has driven that. Otherwise, we'd all be saying, no, the only the only view is God made the world in six literal days. End of story. 
I don't think anyone who was ever burned for supporting evolution. I'm not sure. No. Mm, okay. yeah. Fair enough. You know what I mean. Metaphorically. <laughs> well, I think the issue is how far does the cultural context drive not just sort of theories about the Bible or about moral behaviour, which is what you're talking about, but how much does it drive our images of God? That's what yeah. I think yeah. is happening here. Are mm. we recalibrating, I think it was Andy's yeah. word, yeah. God in our own image because of our culture? Mm. And I can see the dangers in that. I can see that the idea that, that because you sort of lose the idea of countercultural yeah. um, Christianity, as it were. But I also see that basically I think that's what always happens. I think, yes, yeah, I think so. I think, I think, of course, you express God in your own culture. And, and more to the point, you express it in your own culture of one. You know, never mind the culture <laughs> yeah. around us. Yeah. You know, you find the image of God that yeah. that you respond to. Um, yeah. And and I think that comes from the Bible often because yeah. people, some people will respond to Lord and some people will respond mm. to Father and some people will respond to Shepherd and some people will respond mm. to other things. I don't know what, what mm. else. But, but. You know, people react to different things because they are individuals. We have a saying in, in our organisation, in Open Doors, you know, that we always talk about how culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. So in other words, yeah. you, can, you can make the best plans in the world, but if the culture's wrong, the strategy won't work. I think culture eats a lot of things. Yeah. I think culture eats strategy for breakfast and then goes on to have a bunch of theology and, uh, yeah. you know, history as well. And it kind of... <laughs> and then choose itself through the philosophy in the afternoon, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know. And culture absolutely drives it. And um, and and so, I think the the issue that I've been thinking a lot out of these emails and about uh, out of the whole thing is, you know, what we mean by name mm. and how we use that. Because yeah. um, what we what we're actually talking about here are not really the names of God, because mm. we don't really know. Mm that in a sense yeah, yeah. like you know yeah. it, it, it's it's really ways of describing god mm. um so to me the question is not whether the name you're giving god or the way of, whether you're calling the divine or whatever is mm. is uh, is new or not it's whether it's true to god's nature as revealed in the bible and in the church's teaching because those two will always go together yeah sure spoken like the anglican you are thank you well, thank you very much. And now if I'd like to give a blessing and we can all leave. <laughs> so I, I don't think there are problems going away with the, from the no. biblical names for God. I think there are problems for going away from the biblical depiction of God. And I think Glenn, Glenn and Andy are right in that we can't just jettison that stuff. No, no, exactly. We right. have to work through that. Um, but I think, you know, it's really important to kind of recognise that everybody does, in a sense, give their name, give their own name to God. I think they do, and it's interesting. I mean, I, I can sort of see the movement as we, as the number one crisis facing our planet moves to the fore, climate change. I can see us, you know, already a lot of people are talking more about Mother Nature, which has a very feminine sound to it. And I think we will discover new names and new metaphors for God that perhaps are a bit more feminine in as we start to nurture and care for the planet more and more and I think that would be a very helpful thing so I think Glyn really reacted to this idea of playing and maybe playing did sound a bit arrogant like oh yes we're perfectly free and we've got to be really careful with our freedom because you know it comes with a certain mm. responsibility mm. so don't mean to sound arrogant 
But as God is beyond all our metaphors and all our understandings, and, you know, father is one metaphor, it's great, but so is mother. Um, and, and you know, you can find that in the Bible. So, so perhaps we do have a freedom to discover metaphors that, that do better describe the divine in our world, in our context at this moment. And, and I want to argue that we do, but perhaps we need to be very careful and do it with absolute humility rather than sort of, you know, shouty. I think one of the areas of work that Margaret was involved with is how much do the, the words you use reflect power structures? Mm. So I think you don't, you don't um, cure that in a way by just creating new names that impose other kind of power structures or, or misreadings. You, so yeah. you have got to be careful because, yeah. you know, all these things have power. I, you know, I was thinking a lot about this and I was thinking about the only person... I think this is true. The only person in the Bible who gets to name God is Hagar. Is that right? Who is a slave girl. You know the story yeah, in yeah, Genesis. She's yeah. the, she herself has, has we don't know her name because Hagar's not a real name because it's, it's, she's been renamed as a slave. And she gets driven into the wilderness and she gets rescued by God. And she mm. describes what God has done for her in Genesis 16, 13. She says, you are the God who sees me. Yeah. And... And that name reflects that something she has discovered about God that she yeah. didn't know, that he sees her yeah. and nobody. Yeah. And, and I, I think people always need to, that relationship. Glynn and Andy are right in that sense. Everybody yeah. who's, right, who's been writing in about that sense, it is about relationship. The idea that of God who sees us, whatever yeah. name you give to that being, he, yeah. you know, they see you. Yeah. And, uh, and isn't it also quite healthy to have a number of names for God? Because if you just have one name, I mean, let's just say, you know, all I do is ever refer to God as Mighty King. Let's just say that's yeah. the only metaphor I ever use. Mighty King this, Mighty King that, Mighty King. Don't I run the danger of breaking the first commandment? Don't I then make an image in my own mind? You know, all right, perhaps it's not a graven image, but it's a very clear idol of what god is like and i and because my mind is tiny i need a variety of things to stop me thinking i've understood who god is yeah that's a nice idea i think that's also a more positive thing the negative thing about you know stopping mm. us getting the wrong idea the more positive idea is it is that as well there's you know god is myriad mm. there is so much to god and so the more in a sense the more names um the more you do understand that um I think that's a nice idea. I think, for me, some of the issues are around really what the names now signify, what the words signify mm. in our culture. So it comes back mm. to culture now. So I have a real problem, I think, with goddess, for example. I would have mm. a problem with that. Not because I don't think it's yeah. it's logically correct, but because it has all kinds of other associations with me that just don't work. It's just a different baggage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so culturally, I, I can't really go with that. And because God, with a capital G, has so much become... A, a, a proper name for this concept yeah. you know uh, this this being um even though you know as we, there are all kinds of problems with that mm. it's really i think i suppose what i'm trying to say is really about what the name what what is the name pointing to in in your mind mm. as you say you know what mm. what are those range of images all words are signifiers mm. um i mean we always talk about how our image of god is the most fundamental thing it's the thing that mm. began this podcast mm. what is your mm. image of god yeah and if 
if the name you are using gets that image wrong, biblically, theologically, his, you know, yeah. church teaching-wise, whatever, it's not helpful. No. Um, can I end up by quoting MacDonald, George MacDonald? Yes, I do. it's been a while, so I think it you probably has. should. Well, George MacDonald, you say, I think is one of my favourite writers who deals with this area because he, mm. he always depicts God in his writings, uh, not always, but, but quite often he depicts God as a grandmother. Mm-hmm. This wise old woman mm. to him that was the ultimate sort mm. of depiction of God. And he wrote in one place, he's, he wrote of God as him who is father and mother both in one, and then and father and mother and home. And I love that final bit, mm. I love the idea of home, mm. yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know how to end this. I think mm. we're very grateful for all the correspondence and yes, all the thought. Yes, and if you don't like the word play, then maybe, you know, respectful experimentation. You know, if you're finding your image of God is too fixed when you address God, maybe experiment with different metaphors and new ways to explore. But you're right, divine, I, I, think, I think that's the really legitimate bit of criticism. The divine does sound a bit impersonal. You know, when I talk to Rachel... You know, she's my lover. She's my wife. She's, you know, she's all those things. Carer. <laughs> yeah, just chiefly carer. <laughs> but, you know, she is not the ground of my being. <laughs> That's where she That's and true. God differ slightly. Um, she's not in every <laughs> atom of my body and the entire universe and in all of nature. But God is. So, yes. Um, you know, we're dealing with this paradox, this mystery of imminence and transcendence. And God is close and personal and like a lover in that sense. But also God is out there, big, and massive and the ground of my being. So, you know, we're playing around with metaphors, some of which are very personal, some of which may seem a bit impersonal at times because we're trying to deal with this whole mystery of God. But perhaps a really positive statement of for me, it's fact, but I suppose that comes across as arrogance, is God is love. And, you know, the divine one, she, he, however you choose to express this wonderful, loving, creative presence in the universe is for you and loves you. And that, for me, is something I can base my life on. Well, well, it's, that's a, you know, it's quite a heavy episode, isn't it? <laughs> right? we, went, we went there, but we had to. It's the emails. I, I like the shopping one. I don't know. It's so much easier. It's true. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Well done. Yes, well done if you're still here. My goodness. Um, and uh, yeah, do let us know what you think, uh, good and bad. And if God has emailed you in any way, do you pass that on? Please pass uh, it on. That, yeah, that'd be useful. Um, in the meantime, I guess we will be back next week. We have we have some good interviews actually coming up. On uh, we hope. Yeah, we have. So uh, we're looking forward to those. And yeah, we'll, we'll see you in a week's time. Thanks very much for listening. See you. Bless you all.